You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, well, good morning, Midtown family. You guys can make your way to your seats. Great to worship with you this morning. Uh, if you're new to Midtown, I do see a couple of new faces and some that I actually know. Uh, if it's your first time here, I should let you know I'm Justin. I serve as the uh, associate pastor here at Midtown. Really glad that you're visiting with us today and hope that you experience God's love for you. That's really what our goal is uh, for this morning for you if you're visiting. We're going to continue our series in the Upper Room Discourse, which is found in John chapter 13 through 17. Been teaching through it for a number of weeks now. We're going to wrap up chapter 14. And if you remember, this is the last words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples before the night that he was about to be betrayed. So you'd imagine they're pretty important words. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to prepare them for what life is going to be like when he is gone, when he's died, when he's resurrected, when he's ascended. And so it's uh, key passages for us to listen to what he was teaching the disciples on this last day. And Melanie's gonna read our scripture for us today. So Melanie, I would invite you guys actually to stand in honor of God's word. And she's gonna read these for us. Yeah, this is John chapter 14, verses 27 through 31. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Melanie. Again, great to be with you guys, and you are the troopers. Um, I heard that the World Cup is tied right now, so if you yell out goal in the middle of the service, I won't be offended, but try to, try to pay attention if you can. Uh, we know some people have left because we are a younger congregation during this Christmas week. Uh, many folks have left to go back home, and others we know are watching the soccer game, and we're going to pass no judgment on them. But God has you guys here for a reason. It's going to be good uh, to be with you this morning. It's the last Sunday before Christmas. Now, how many of you, like, that just made you really nervous that I said that? You're like, oh, no, like, you're like, oh, junk, like, this is crazy, I've got so much to do, there's so, really, there's just, this is the last Sunday? You're thinking about parties that you're going to go to, things you have to plan, meals you want to prepare, grocery shopping that you have to do, last-minute shopping, sending out your Christmas cards, or or perhaps now now they've become uh, New Year's cards that you're going to send out, right? Exactly. It's kind of crazy that during the Advent season, this season when the angels came and pronounced like glory to God in the highest and peace on earth tends to be one of these times when we have the least amount of peace because there's just so much that's going on, right? You feel that sometimes? And whether you're feeling it just because of this season or you're just feeling it because there's an actual season of your life that you're in right now, often we wrestle with this idea of peace, peace on earth. No, I've just got so much turmoil inside. I started asking the question when we looked at this passage, which talks about the peace that Jesus gives us, like what is it that kind of disturbs our peace, right? Don't you know that there's many things in your life that come into your life that are peace disturbers, right? I thought it would be fun while I was just kind of dwelling on it, trying to think about what are the things that disturb my peace to actually look up the definition, because you know it's like a law, like disturbing the peace, you can be arrested for it. So here's what disturbing the peace looks like from a legal sense. This is not biblical whatsoever. 
But disturbing the peace, also known as breach of peace, is a criminal offense that occurs when a person engages in some form of unruly public behavior, such as fighting or causing excessive loud noise, when a person's words, conduct, jeopardize another person's right to peace and tranquility, he or she may, he or she may be charged with disturbing the peace. Just looked it up just to kind of get an idea, and then I asked myself the question, like, what are the things in my life that are like the loud noises or the behavior, or the words, the unwanted contact that kind of come in here and try to, like, disturb my peace? What are they for you? What are they for me? I mean, some of the common ones that I've experienced would be financial burdens, uh, broken relationships, those disturb my peace. Uh, uncertainty in my life disturbs my peace. Uh, having to make like a big life decision, that kind of disturbs my peace. Uh, when there's pressure to meet the expectations of others, disturbs my peace. Or my peace gets disturbed when I feel like I'm not measuring up on my job. Um, when I get sick or there's ailments, those things disturb my peace. Uh, when people I love and I really love and care about are making bad decisions or in some sort of trouble, that disturbs my peace. Uh, my own sin and my own shortcomings, they disturb my peace. And really, life is full of it. It's this thing called life, right? Y'all feel that? What I hope you can do is kind of identify, like, what are the things that disturb your peace? Because we're going to talk about the peace that Jesus wants to offer us, but it's so much better if we can put ourselves in a position to draw to mind right, right now. These are the things that are the disturbers of my peace. And none of these things are wrong. They're just trouble that happens in life. So you're not wrong because your peace gets disturbed, but what Jesus is gonna offer us is a way in the midst of trouble to actually still have peace, even though we're in the midst of the things that try to disturb our peace. Um, as we mentioned several times, I won't go into it because we've talked about it plenty, and in John chapter 14, one of the things that's happening is Jesus has told the disciples that he's no longer gonna be with them. And he's talking about their death, and he said, said that Judas was gonna betray him and that Peter was gonna deny him. And so in this setting, and Jesus is wrapping up this conversation, there's a lot of trouble. In fact, verse one in chapter 14, he says, Jesus saw that their hearts were troubled. And so here are some people that are troubled. And that word troubled means like a stirring up. Right? It was kind of a word that would be used for when uh, storms come and shake up the water. Their, their hearts are shaken up. There's things that are disturbing their peace. And then Jesus is trying to make some promises to them to help them. And if you were with us the last few weeks, there's kind of two main things that he promised. The first was that they were, the main, their main disturbance was that they thought that they weren't gonna be with Jesus. Like, well, he said he's going and they can't come. And he promised them one thing, one promise is I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you to be with me where I am. So he promised them this presence in eternity. But the second thing that he promised was his Holy Spirit, that he would send his Holy Spirit. And so while he wouldn't be with them physically, he would be with them spiritually through the Holy Spirit. Those are the main things that he's promising them. But today we're gonna look at a third promise in this passage as he's kind of wrapping up this conversation with the disciples he promises them his peace, that peace that they could have access through through the Holy Spirit. So let those things that bubbled up when you think about what disturbs your peace just kind of simmer at the top of your heart and your mind right now, and let's see what Jesus comes to offer us as he offered the disciples. Verse 27 is the main verse we're gonna look at, the gift of Jesus' peace. Peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. We're gonna see three things in this specific verse. The first is that this is a gift. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's a gift that he gives. And in the spirit of Christmas, just for a mental, for a mental mind, what I want you to think about is you've got like a tree and you're picturing your tree and underneath it is a present. And it's the present that God, that Jesus says, this is my peace, it's here for you. It's a gift that I give you. And it's got a little tag on it. It says, to Justin, from Jesus. It says, to Isaiah, from Jesus. It says, to Suzanne, from Jesus. And you've got this gift waiting for you. That's what Jesus is offering. 
Peace was a word that was said often in the, in the Jewish culture that would be kind of a peace would be something you'd say or shalom in the Hebrew shalom you'd say when you're greeting someone and when you would be leaving someone. It was just a kind of common word that you said. As a total side note, uh, my first dog I ever had was named Shalom. It's a big Samoa dog and apparently I, I learned to walk by grabbing onto this dog and walking with it. And you know your parents are hippies. When their wedding invitation was uh, Storm, my dad, and Blossom, my mom, and their first dog is named Shalom. I'm like, I'm so surprised and so glad that I'm Justin. I thought it'd be like named Sunshine or Nirvana or some, something crazy. <clears throat> Digression finished. Shalom. Shalom was not just my dog's name. It was a way that you greeted people in a way that you would say goodbye to people. And so when Jesus starts talking about peace, it's a real good indication that he's actually trying to wrap up this conversation that he's been having throughout John 14. Now he's going to kind of bring it to a close and, and talk about the peace that he's offering. It's one indication that he's wrapping it up. But in the Greek, when he's speaking here, as recorded here, is the word irene. It's the word irene. It's used like 90 times in the New Testament. And when it's used in this context of an individual, it's the idea of being able to, to be in, at peace and in tranquility in your life. And when it's used of a corporate setting of like a, a group of people, a family or even a nation, it actually means kind of like law and order. It means that there, if there was peace, it meant that there was law and order, that everyone was doing their parts and everything was in its right place. Now, transition to or, or, or contrast that peace with what I already told you that he's talking about in this word troubled. When he told them several times, do not be troubled. Troubled is agitation. It's a stirring of the waters. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to bring law and order to your heart. I want to give you something that's going to let you rest even in the midst of the agitation. That's what he's offering. It's a great offering. And that's what the disciples needed because as I mentioned two weeks ago when I was talking, they were, they were experiencing a God, what are you doing kind of moment. They, they didn't understand what was happening. They were agitated. And to that, Jesus says, I promise that I'm going to take you to be back with me. I promise that the Holy Spirit's going to come. And now I'm offering you this third promise of peace. So what is it that's disturbing your peace? Whatever's disturbing your peace, I want you to know that Jesus can give you peace. He can give you the tranquility. He can give the law and order in your heart and settle it. That's the gift that he's offering them. It's the gift that he's offering us. And it doesn't matter what your personality is, what your temperament is. When he's talking with his disciples, he's, he's offering his peace to Peter, who's a rash kind of leader type. He's, he's offering his peace to Thomas, who's an inquisitive, doubting kind of type. He's offering his peace to John, who's a soft-hearted type. No matter our temperament, Jesus can give us peace. That's what he's offering. The second thing, though, I want you to see, and this is probably the most important one, is it's Jesus' peace. Peace I give you, my peace I give you. Jesus was giving the very peace that he had, the ones that the disciples had witnessed, the way that they had seen him and the peace that was always upon him. Imagine this, Jesus was the most peaceful person to have ever lived. Amazing, the most peaceful person who ever lived. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. That doesn't mean that he didn't have trouble, right? We all know he had trouble. And in fact, what I find so amazing about this passage and him offering this peace right here is that he was in a time when he should have no peace. Yet even in this time, Jesus had peace. And not only did he have peace, he had peace in abundance. He had peace to give. That's the most amazing part of this because as Jesus would go on to say in these next verses, he said, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I'll not say much more to you, for the prince of the world is coming. He has no hold over me, and he comes so the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father has commanded me. You see, Jesus wasn't surprised by the events that were happening. 
We know that from the previous chapter, right? Because in chapter 13, at the start of the Upper Room Discourse, he, he knew someone was going to betray him. He knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knew that at the end of this conversation, we'll see, he was actually going to start making his walk toward the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew that the evil one had already had plans that was going to come against him. But he said, he has no authority over me. I'm doing this willfully because I love and trust the Father, and I'm willing to submit to his will. Talk about peace in the midst of the worst possible situation, knowing you were going to be betrayed and be alone. Jesus had peace, and that's the very peace that he offers us, my peace. It's not just a peace out there. It's my peace that I'm offering you, this kind of peace that you've seen in me I'm offering. You can have it. It's a gift. It's there for you under the tree. It transcends all understanding. It transcends knowing you're going to be betrayed. It transcends knowing that all the disciples were ultimately going to flee him. This kind of peace does not mean it was without trouble. You see, Jesus was in grave trouble on that day. So it's not the absence of trouble, or as J. Oswald Sanders says, peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. What gave Jesus peace was that he knew that the Father was going to be with him through all of this, even if all the other people left him. In fact, if we're to skip ahead to John 16, when he's kind of wrapping up the entire uh, teaching in in the upper room discourse, he says this, a time is coming, in fact, and has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. You see, Jesus always knew the presence of the Father, which is why he could have peace. Jesus was always going to be in step with what the Father wanted. And no matter what was happening, he knew that he could trust him because the Father's plans were best. No matter what was swirling around, no matter what agitation, he trusted. And that's the kind of peace that he's offering you and I. It's amazing, amazing peace that we can share in. So first, the peace is a gift from Jesus. Second, the peace is Jesus' peace. And third, he contrasts it with what the world offers. He says, peace I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. So Jesus' peace is vastly different from the peace that the world offers because the world offers peace is always tied to our circumstances, right? It's circumstantial peace. When we depend on things have to change for us to be at peace, the trouble or the agitation has to actually be resolved for us to get to peace. So the world offers a peace that says, well, you'll have peace when the problem is solved. You'll have peace when the, when the money finally comes in. Oh, you'll finally have peace when the person acknowledges what they've done or confesses to you, apologizes. You'll have peace once you get that promotion or that next career change. You'll have peace once you're successful. You'll have peace when people like you or you'll have peace when you have nicer things. You'll have peace when you're on vacation. Like these are the circumstantial things that the world offers to say, here's what will lead to your peace. But Jesus is saying, I don't give like the world gives. I'm giving a different kind of peace. I'm giving a peace that's outside of circumstances because the world's peace is always tied to circumstances. It's tied to, to things like security. You have to know exactly what you're gonna do and what the future holds and you have to know everything. Then I'll be at peace. Or, or the world uh, offers us you know, control. Like I won't be at peace unless I know exactly what's gonna happen or I can control the situation myself. Or the world's peace is based on possessions. Like I have to have enough stuff. I have to have nicer things, and then I'll be at peace. But Jesus is saying, I'm offering a completely different kind of peace. It's not a peace like the world gives. It's not tied to things. It's not tied to security. It's not tied to control. It's not tied to possessions. I'm giving you my peace that is a peace that endures in the midst of trouble. It's a gift. Now go back to thinking about this picture. You've got this gift underneath, your tree, underneath the tree. Jesus has been giving you his peace. It's his peace. 
and it's not like the world gives. Now the question is, what are you going to do with it? Because what we'll see in Jesus' next words is that there's a responsibility that we have to play in accessing this peace and receiving this peace from Jesus. And it's a simple command, but a hard one. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You see, this is the place where the gift that Jesus is offering and our choices collide. This is a place where we have a responsibility to do some things so that we can access this peace and receive it. I had some fun thinking about this this way because it's just kind of a strange command, you know, just don't, right? <laughs> don't do it. I started thinking like, it's kind of funny because we have a phrase like that, you know, in our culture, in our culture, in our vernacular, it's like, don't even go there. Y'all ever have that? You have one of those conversations? You're kind of arguing with your spouse and you start going down a road that goes, you shouldn't be going down and one of them says, hey, hey, don't even go there. We've actually even shortened it. Now we can just say, don't even. You know exactly what it means, right? <laughs> so your child starts misbehaving or doing something they know is wrong and you've told them time and time again and they start making excuses. You're like, don't, don't even. Or UT loses at a game and you're you know, rooting for the other fan and you come to try to rub it in on me. Don't even. Don't even do it, right? Don't even. Um, it's not biblical to think about it that way, but I'm just thinking, for me, it helped me think. Like when I have these things that agitate me, when I have these things that stir up these dis disturbers of peace in my life, one thing that I can do is I can try to hold it off at the pass. I can say, don't even. Like, don't. Don't let your mind go there. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Like, Jesus is telling us this is something that we can do, and this is where our responsibility intersects with the peace that he's offering us. Don't even let your heart go there. As we said many times in this upper room discourse that the disciples have, are very confused, which is why I love that throughout the upper room discourse, they're asking questions because they're just, they're just trying to find answers. They're confused. They're agitated. Don't even, he says. He says it twice, actually, in chapter 14. Looking at John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Again, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, John 14, 27, that we're looking at today. Listen. He's not saying that we're not going to have trouble. He's not saying that at all. He's saying you're going to have trouble, but I offer you a peace that you can actually not be troubled even in troubling times. Isn't it amazing? Like you can be in a troubling time, yet your heart can still not be troubled. That's what he's offering. He's telling the, the disciples, this is your choice. In fact, we'll skip ahead to John chapter 16, the very last verse before Jesus prays in the upper room. He says this, I've told you these things so that you, may believe, so that you may have my peace. Again, now he's wrapping up another conversation. He's using that same word, that irene, you can have this peace. Maybe no truer statement that Jesus ever made. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Again, Jesus is wrapping up the sermon, on, or the, uh, the upper room discourse, talking about the peace that we can have. As we continue to go our way through the upper room discourse, we're gonna kind of take it all the way till about February and keep going through it. But one of the major themes that you're gonna see, again, I'll re repeat them again, is Jesus says, I'm going away, but I am gonna come back and be with you. That should comfort us. And then he also said, I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit so that I won't be with you physically, I'm gonna be with you spiritually and you're all gonna have access to the Spirit. And then much of the rest of the, the uh, upper room discourse, Jesus is actually talking to them about how to access that. Like how can you, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, begin to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's in fact what we're gonna talk about next week when we jump in there, or two weeks from now when we jump into John uh, chapter 15. And so then when you read the rest of the New Testament, one of the things that you see is you see the disciples actually learning to do this. It was confusing at the time, but once they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they start accessing 
the peace of God, among many other things. And they talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They thought that this was one of the things that Jesus promised them, and they wanted access to it. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, you'll see the, the authors of the epistles writing the church and telling them about how they can actually have this peace that transcends understanding. Multiple places you could go to look how these disciples who were trying to follow Jesus' way started accessing that peace. But my favorite is in Philippians chapter 4, and so I wanted to go there to see how Paul talked about it. Let me read Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers, <clears throat> whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, you gotta know a little bit about the context of Philippians because it was written by Paul when what? He was in prison. <laughs> And the, and the book is just full of joy. In fact, one of the constant refrains is rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And so just like Jesus, Paul knew trouble. He knew trouble. He too had been arrested. He too was in jail. He was also ultimately going to die. Yet in the midst of being troubled, he thought that there was a way to not be troubled even in the midst of it. And I find these verses to be some of the most applicable in my life whenever I have those disturbance of my peace. This is one of the go-to passages that I go to because I think it offers a way for us to access his peace and settle our hearts and bring that law and order back to us. Let's look at just a couple things that it says. First, it says rejoice. I call that worship. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I love that he doubles down. Rejoice. I'm gonna say it again, man. Rejoice. <laughs> like, I'm doubling down. Worship. You wanna set your heart at peace? You wanna access his peace? You start by worship. So when your heart gets disturbed, when your heart gets troubled and you have those feelings of trouble, one of the things you can first do is begin to worship. Shift your eyes to God and think about who he is. Think about what he's done. Praise him. Worship him for who he is. Praise his name with worship and prayer. Turn on a song and listen to it and sing along with it. And if all else fails, you can focus just on the fact that the Lord is near and he is going to come and fulfill his promise. Like rejoice. Second thing he tells him to do is to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving so that the peace of God that transcends understanding can guard your hearts and your minds. Don't be anxious about anything. Whenever you feel that stirring, that agitation, when you feel the disruptions of your peace, pray. Like bring the situation to God and ask him to change the situation. Or sometimes better yet, the situation doesn't need to change. Your heart needs to change. So ask him to do a work in you. Ask for the deliverance. Come to God with prayer. Or have faith and say, God, help. Like that's one way that you can settle your heart is when you pray. You just put things back in his hands. Or you do as Peter, one of the other disciples that tried to practice the way of Jesus and finding his peace said, he said, present, he said, don't cast all your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. That's what it means just to present all those feelings to God. Next thing is to give thanks. If you didn't catch it in there, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, what? With thanksgiving. One of the easiest ways when your heart is troubled, when you've got these disruptors to your peace, 
is to pause and take a step back and not focus on them, but turn your shift, shift your eyes to think about things that you're grateful for. Express thanks to God for what he's done. Express gratitude. Pause and just name five things off the top of your head that here's the good things that God has done for me. Or remember back to a time when he's actually delivered you from something similar and say, God, you did this before. I'm grateful that you've done this before. When you shift your eyes to gratitude, that's another way to access the peace. Fourth thing here is to meditate. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, acceptable, praiseworthy, think about such things. One of the things you can do when you have trouble in your heart and you've got the stirring of trouble in your life and the disruptors to your peace is to change your thinking, to meditate on other things, to change your mind and begin to dwell on the goodness of God. Maybe it's memorizing a scripture and just reciting it to yourself or saying it out loud. Or maybe just pausing just to think about other things, to remember who God is and put your hope in him. Like meditating can change your mind and you can access the peace of God. And finally, the last one I see here in this passage is obey. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Obey. Like in the midst of troubling times when you've got the stirring going on, one of the best things you can do is just try to stay faithful and just take the next step and you're walking with God. The temptation when you get in this time of disruption and disturbing is to look to idols or look to other things to try to provide your comfort. But if instead you stay in step with the Spirit and walk with Him and you put to practice, like Paul says, the things you've seen me do, practice those things. When you start practicing, that will be one way that you can access the peace. Sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it? If we could do these five things, if we could, if we could worship, if we could pray, if we give thanks, if we could meditate, and we would just take the next step of obedience. Those are ways that we can access the peace of God. They're ways that the disciples who were with Jesus began to write about and tell the other churches, like, we think we get what Jesus meant. We were experiencing his peace. We've got the Holy Spirit now. And now here's how I want to teach you guys how to access the peace of Jesus. Now, first, let me make a, a couple concession points about this peace, just to, just to be real. First is don't hear me say that this is like a silver bullet. Like, it's not like, okay, now I'm gonna do these five things and instantly my troubles will go away or instantly I'll be at peace even if I am in trouble. I'm not trying to present that. I don't think that's scriptural to say like we just do these steps, then it just becomes like a rote religion. But I am saying that these are the ways to practice the way of Jesus and to access his peace. Confidently say that, but I'm not saying that if you do one, two, three, and if you don't feel the tranquility that he promised you that that means you're doing it wrong, you gotta double down or do it harder, do it longer. Just remember that, that this will take time. Second thing, concession with this, is gonna take more time for others than some of us. Uh, some of us are maybe naturally experience more peace. Some of us maybe naturally uh, worry more or have greater anxiety. And so for some of us, it's going to take longer. So hear me say that as well. And that's just because some of us have different personalities. Like it could just be, you know, your personality, your temperament that maybe causes you to be one that's more anxious or more easily disturbed. Uh, some of us actually have had uh, past traumas, like things in our life that, that are really hard to overcome. And so that may, they make us much more prone to anxiety and fear that Jesus is saying, I promise you peace, but it might be harder or take longer time for you. And then some of us maybe even have a clinical condition where you need medication or need help from others. And that's okay. So hear me saying like, this isn't just a silver bullet and know that it's gonna take different amount of time, but it's something that I'd also wanna leave you with this conviction, like you can have this peace. Like you can have the peace of Jesus. My peace, that very peace is the, the, the gift that's under your tree right now. Jesus says, 
This is for you. And here's some ways that you can access it by practicing these ways that I mentioned. Let me explain how this kind of looked in my life. Let me grab a sip here first and what it's looked like uh, for me. Hmm. Sorry. <clears throat> the way that it's really looked in my life, just to be real honest with you, I think um, the biggest fear that I have in my life is, is being alone. Uh, it's been a, been a real big fear. There's been a couple times in my life where I, where I really was alone that I think have uh, made it like a significant fear for me. Uh, one would be middle school. Yeah, it's always a great time in life as, as, it, as it is for everybody, right? But it's particularly a great time in life when your parents get divorced, your best tent friend moves away, and then you don't, you've, you know, football's, football's your idol and you don't make the A-team, which meant you don't feel good about yourself, but then also you lost all your friends that did make the A-team. And for a couple of years, just experienced like an intense loneliness in the midst of all those circumstances. Uh, another big period of my life was a couple of years in my life where I just had graduated from UT and kind of a couple of years after that, um, I just was felt feeling really alone because all my friends were either moving away or a lot of them were getting married and I wasn't getting married and nothing was working out for me in that department. And I found myself just feeling terribly alone. That's my, that was my biggest fear, I've realized. Thankfully, a couple years later, after that, that second bout of feeling alone, I met Brenda, so thank God for that. And to, to be real honest, I haven't felt very alone <laughs> since, <laughs> since that time. Um, but then to be really honest, my uh, issue of feeling alone and that fear actually plays itself out in a different way in my life right now. Uh, as most of you know, uh, Brenda and I don't have kids. I know uh, people are often afraid to ask uh, why or, or, you know, so I'm just going to tell you this morning so you don't have to ask. It'll be easy. Um, and God's perfect timing and his perfect plans are great for us, and we've experienced that and so happy that we're married. Uh, Brenda, a year before we met and started dating, uh, had a cancer and cancer treatment, but the doctor said that this would likely, it would increase the odds that you wouldn't be able to have kids. And uh, this was a pretty wild, but a couple of months into our dating, Brenda very courageously and wisely told me this news. And I, I love just her confidence. Her confidence was so in, in God and trust in God that she was able to, it would have been hard to say, was able to say like, hey, this could be a deal breaker. It would be reasonable for you to, to decide not to go forward in this relationship. And so why don't you just pray about it for, for a week or so and then let's decide, like decide now if we wanna keep this train rolling. And so I prayed about it, and that was an easy decision, and we got engaged on Enchanted Rock two months later. So it <laughs> went, went a very, very easy decision, one that required very little prayer. Uh, we weren't sure what would happen, you know, when we actually started, um, when we were married. Uh, but it turned out, yeah, that almost went to a very weird place. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I caught myself halfway through. Uh, we didn't know what happened when we got married. <laughs> And it turned out that uh, we weren't able to have kids. We never really got tested to even know if it's her or me or, or whatever the case would be. We just never did. And uh, we prayed about adoption and, and it felt like it really never felt like a pull uh, toward that. Uh, by God's grace, we have uh, eight nieces and nephews and we felt like it's fun that we can have them as a part of our life. And you all know uh, two of them now. We're kind of like surrogate parents to them because their parents live in the Philippines. Uh, we've had tons of college students because my college ministry, we felt like I've already got lots of kids, spiritual kids uh, in our lives. And in fact, one spent the night with us last night. I used to be a nanny, which I call a manny. And so my 33-year-old boy that I used to watch uh, spent the night with us last night. It's so fun to see him walk in the Lord and look at him as one of my favorite disciples that I've ever had. And so for us, it hasn't caused um, a lot of pain in the moment. For me, I'm talking about myself here. 
But where my fear really sets in is when I think about the future. It really sets in when I think about the future because I think about dying alone. Like you folks who have kids, um, you, you, it's probably right that you kind of look to the future and think, well, you know, when I get old and I, my kids will likely help me, but when you don't have kids, like for me, I just go, oh gosh, like that, that sounds pretty terrible. And so I don't really feel it in the moment. Like I still have this great fear of loneliness, but it's tied to the future. And I, I often joke with Brendan, I really do, I really do pray this. I pray that, uh, that I will die first because Brenda will be perfectly fine without me, but I would be terrible, I'd be a wreck without her. And that's not because I'm so great, it's that she really trusts in God and has confidence. And I, I have it in my head that God will take care of me and I won't die alone, but, but in my heart, sometimes it's not there. And so when I'm wrestling with this, this is one of my biggest fears. What is, your, what is yours? Like, what was the thing that came to mind earlier that disturbed your peace? Or just hearing that story, what is the, what is the fear for you? What would disturb your peace most? I know that one's the one for me. And so with the way it plays out in my life is when I start to have that fear or think about the future in that way, the first line of defense is don't even, <laughs> like, that's what I do. Like, don't even, don't, don't, don't even go there. Like, don't. It's a waste of time. It's going to take you down a bad road. Don't. Don't be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. I try to just simply don't. But sometimes it takes a lot more work than that. And I go back to these same practices in Philippians. That's what I do, really. I, I really do. I just say, hey, I'm going to worship God right now. Hey, I'm going to present this prayer request to God right now. Oh, I'm going to pause and give thanks and give gratitude. Or I'm going to change my mindset and meditate instead. Or I'm just going to take the next step of obedience and trust that God's got my back. Like, those are the ways that I access Jesus' peace, and it's not perfect for me, and like I said, we all have room to grow. I've got a lot of room to grow. But that's the peace, Jesus' peace, that he offers us. And more importantly, this isn't something that I just do when I have something stirred up. I don't just do this when there's trouble. You practice these five things on a regular basis so that you hit the trouble off in the path. <laughs> you beat it to the pass. Because if you practice regularly, Worship and prayer, gratitude and meditation and obedience, you're going to find that you're actually going to be able to cut off the troubles at the past and you're going to more easily access peace in the moment. So whether in a particular troubling time or just as a lifestyle, this is what I would ask for you to do. Additionally, I commit myself to Christian community and I try to be the kind of brother and a friend to my Christian family with confidence that someone's going to love me back that way and I won't be alone because I'm confidently, I'm intentionally making friends and with my spiritual family. Another thing that I do is I constantly remind myself that dying alone is actually an oxymoron for a Christian. You're never dying alone because the Father will always be with me. Jesus will be with me through the Holy Spirit. It was promised with me forever, and so it's an oxymoron, really, to die alone. Or like as I already said before, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And the presence of God is always going to be with me. It's always going to be with you. So when you think about this Christmas season, do you know that there's peace available? It's there waiting for you. And there's a way to access it that you can actually begin to experience more and more of Jesus' peace through the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope that you'll dwell on that this Christmas. And let's really experience peace together. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to move in the transition to communion. But let me lead us in a prayer first, if you don't mind just bowing your heads.
Let me give you a moment just to be quiet, just about 30 seconds here, and let whatever's troubling your heart, whatever disturbance of your peace, let it kind of just rise to the surface one more time. Now just present it to God. Give it to God and ask for his peace. Picture yourself now just receiving that, that gift of peace, receiving Jesus' peace. Yeah, let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would bring peace, the peace of Jesus to all of our troubled hearts. Give us grace to comprehend what things actually disturb our peace. And then give us grace, the grace that we need to access your peace. Help us grow, God, more and more in receiving your peace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven. Thank you.